0: I'm ready for a career change. I'm not as fulfilled and
1: satisfied as I think I could be. I just don't know when the right time is, and that's a difficult decision to make. This is Money Confidential, a podcast from Real Simple about our money stories, struggles, and secrets. I'm your host, Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez, and today I'm talking to a listener we're calling Mia, not her real name.
0: If I could do anything and not fail, what would I do? Or where is that passion that I'm finding in my life right now to then carry that into my next step?
1: Mia is 28 years old, based in the Northeast, and she just celebrated her five-year anniversary at her corporate job. But... while
0: well, I like the people I work with, and the day-to-day work is fine. I'm curious where I would be if I started my own business or changed careers, both of which I immediately jumped to a pay cut.
1: The idea of being your own boss, having unlimited potential for growth, and taking pride in what you build by pursuing small business ownership is a version of the American dream that nearly two-thirds of Americans share, according to a 2019 survey. Mia is one of them. If you could have your dream career or dream business, what would that look like?
0: So immediately my mind goes to being a goat farmer, which is Hysterical because I think I crave that sort of simplicity. You have manual labor, but then you're also, you know, connecting in a different way with different people. Perhaps that means selling goat products like goat milk and all that. But then also, you know, you set your own timeline. So you don't really have to answer to anyone else. And I think that that's something that's really interesting to me to say that I like having that independence,
1: but then also recognizing that. I crave structure. While the excitement and appeal of entrepreneurship is something most Americans identify with, self-employment estimates prior to the pandemic ranged from just 17 to 28% of the American population in recent years. There's a huge disconnect between wanting to start a business and actually doing it. Not surprisingly, money is a major factor, with 40% of Americans identifying their financial security, 35% of Americans citing the financial commitment to operate a business, and 35% citing fear of failure as their biggest obstacles to pursuing their small business dreams.
0: I'm definitely a planner, so it's one of those things that if I don't have an outline, I get very nervous, and almost that sort of perfectionism comes in to say, if I'm not going to do it right, I don't want to do it at all. So you kind of get that level of procrastination to say, well, you know, it's something that I'm really interested in, but I'm scared because I don't know if I will do it in the best way that I know that I can.
1: And do you worry that that perfectionism or that fear of taking a financial risk might keep you from doing that thing you really want? I do. What it comes
0: down to is that if I can continue to make the living that I have become accustomed to or identify what sacrifices I would need to make, is that going to justify the change that I'd make?
1: One thing I learned while talking to Mia is that her finances are actually in great shape. She's living below her means. She already has a six-month emergency savings fund. She's done a great job investing for retirement in her employer 401k plan, and she's on the advancement track at work. But there's something challenging about walking away from that kind of financial security and the peace of mind that comes with a linear and clear career path, especially at a time like this when there's so much uncertainty and insecurity in the world around us. Even in the best of times, how do you know when you're ready to take a risk? And what does having enough money to walk away from the security and validation you know to pursue what you don't know even look like? What would it look like or feel like if part of your financial security went away, but you were living more in alignment with what you want to be doing?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because I can picture who that person is. And that person is definitely like living their most authentic self and living that life that has that balance of, you know, getting that sort of work-life balance, but then also feeling fueled and passioned by the work that you're doing. What's so interesting is like, is if in my own business, what would I say is the measure of success? Like, is it a financial goal? Is it, you know, a social goal, where, where do I want to put that sense of structure and that recognition pathway to say, you know, if I hit this much in income or sales or what have you, then, you know, will I be happy? I don't know. That's really not where I think I need to have that sort of sense of happiness. But it is so easy for money
1: to have that as a source of measurement. Even if we intellectually know that money isn't an accurate way to measure our success, it makes sense that we have trouble making that separation in practice. Money isn't everything, but it's something. It's tangible. We can point to it, we can track it, we can measure it in a way that we can't measure so much else, like fulfillment and purpose. But if we get too stuck on using money as a metric for success, risking our money can also start to feel like risking our success, our source of validation, and potentially even our identity, which might keep us from pursuing the things we really want. I want to ask if you've spent any time or money investing in even a small iteration of your business idea. Not money.
0: Um, I would say I have started to attend some workshops to just kind of see some what has worked for other people to see, you know, if they can do it, why not me? I think for me, a lot of it is like, I have so much that I think I want to do. It's like, what do I choose first? And what do you
1: worry about if, if you do take that leap? Probably that I won't succeed. And what does that mean? Failure is hard. Does failure look like something to you when you use that word? It's so interesting because I think that it's a lot about other people.
0: When really, like, I want to do something for myself. And knowing that is, like, so, so bizarre. To really be like, how do I not let the opinions or feedback of others really change what I'm doing like if I do something for me I'm doing it for me and no one else
1: is there anything financially that would make you feel that way that you can do whatever you can set your mind to
0: if I didn't have to worry about money <laughs> I think that that's a big one
1: what amount of money would make you feel that way or, or or what what does that actually look like in dollars and cents to not worry about money to me like seems like it has to be like six-figure
0: number like 100K. I want to have an emergency fund for my business. I want to be able to, you know, if I want to bring on other employees, how do I provide for them as well? So it's wanting to feel like I can still contribute to my current lifestyle and my partner to say, like, I'm not putting a financial burden on you because I'm doing something quote-unquote so risky. So, Mm. but I'm the one who's identifying it as risky.
1: It also feels like you need to see how the full financial picture is going to come together before you feel like you're ready to take the risk. Yeah,
0: I think that's it. Like
1: to set that up
0: and know that I can see a way out, potentially. If it doesn't work in the way that I've envisioned it, where do I pivot and to accept that? I can learn from those and recognize that I don't have to do everything perfectly, but I still aspire to do those sorts of things.
1: Well, your perfectionism has in so many ways served you, right? It's it's been this tool that's allowed you to succeed in your career this far and in your financial life this far and maybe even positioned you to take this kind of risk. But then it's like, well, if it's the thing that keeps you from taking the risk on the flip side. There's certainly, I don't know, maybe fear or or some feeling there.
0: Definitely. I know once I go through that door, I'll be like, why didn't I do that sooner? Like It gives you that sense of stopping yourself even when you set yourself up for success to be like, oh, well, I'm so afraid of not having that financial security that I've set myself up over the past five, ten years versus knowing what's comfortable in the position you currently are. And so to have that and give myself that space to figure that out is doable. It's just a matter of doing it.
1: Is it doable without $100,000 a year?
0: Yes. I just don't know what that is.
1: (laughs) And I wonder if there's a way for you to conceptualize these things in tandem rather than a before and after. For example, what does it look like to maintain some of that sense of security you have now, whether it's just keeping your job and maintaining your savings and everything else, while also taking some risks, but maybe not all the risks and not knowing the full path from the start.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really interesting way of thinking about it because I'm so concerned with having all my eggs in one basket. And I don't think that's a sustainable way to like set off the path because what if I don't even know until I'm on it? that, you know, this is what is supposed to be working out, or supposed
1: to be happening in that way. And do you just want someone to tell you what that is, or is that something you think you can come to on your own?
0: It would be so much easier if someone could tell you what it is, but I know that's not right. I know it has to come from me.
1: Coming up after the break, we're taking Mia's story to this week's expert guest to see if we can answer the question of aspiring business owners everywhere. What does enough money even mean when we're talking about starting a business? and is now even a good time to consider it. Hey everyone, I'm Sid
0: Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith,
1: Growing up, Paco de Leon was not what you might consider a risk taker.
2: I grew up in an immigrant household and my parents, they came to the States when they were relatively young. I kind of stumbled into finance because the practical immigrant thing, I was like, if I like choose music or art school, I think my parents are probably going to be bummed if I can't you know, get a job and do something practical. So That was one of the seeds that was always planted where like you can never or you can't expect to earn money from being artistic.
1: But after studying finance and economics, then working in wealth management, consulting, and other traditionally stable jobs, Paco started to explore her more creative side and eventually started her own bookkeeping agency and personal finance community called the Hell Yeah Group.
2: I've worked as a financial planner, I've worked as a debt collector. I worked as a small business consultant and a bookkeeper. And pretty much in all of those areas, it was all about the practical. It was all about the make sure you educate the customer on the credit score and teach people how to do this and teach people how to do that. And I feel really lucky that I got such a crash course in understanding the practicality of money and finances. But it wasn't until I went off on my own that I really had the time to sit and think about We know there's no shortage of information, of practical information. If practical information solved everybody's problem, everyone's problems would have been solved when the internet started, but it hasn't. And of course, there's these larger systemic issues at play, but... um, for a lot of people, there's just not been a lot of space to talk about the emotions of finance. I think it's actually going to be really helpful
1: specifically to dive into this listener question because one of the biggest roadblocks that she's experiencing is that she feels like she needs to see the whole map of where her business is going to go and how it's going to succeed before she can even start entertaining an idea of what a first step is and i think a lot of that roadblock is probably some of the emotional stuff you're talking about
2: the illusion of control is really easy to 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 kind of fall into that spell and that trap especially when you're like working for another company and that company has like their quarterly goals and their you know their half year goals and their annual their five year their 10 year goals i think i i held myself back because of these same things where's it going to go Um, is there a guarantee that was, you know, that was really hard for me. This just like jumping kind of without a parachute, not knowing where I would land, but you kind of just have to start because once you start and it could be small, I'm not saying like, you know, get a six figure loan or anything. I'm saying like, whatever you sell, if it's jams or a service, just start really, really small, find three or five customers, do it small batch as cheap as possible, and start because as soon as you begin, the data will then get returned to you. The The world will say, yep, we want it, keep doing it. Or it'll say, we kind of want it, but not in this way. And then you modify. So as an entrepreneur, it's your job to be kind of in collaboration with your audience and the people that you're serving. I think as you progress as a business person, you, you see that The phrase is each new level, there's a new devil. Um, And so the fears that you're overcoming in these earlier stages are different than the fears that you're overcoming in these larger stages. And you have to kind of dig in and say, am I going to let the fear tell me to move back or am I going to let the fear tell me to move forward? And I think where I'm at right now, I have conditioned myself to use fear as a positive reinforcement signal. If I don't feel fear about something, like I feel fear about being open as I am on this podcast right now. But if I don't feel that, to me, that's a signal that I'm not, you know, I'm not pushing myself to, to do what I need to be doing. Use those moments to feel that fear and to say like, to really be curious about it. Like, Oh God, what is this? What is this sensation in my body? And is it going to kill me? Probably not. Um, okay, cool. Well, can I sit here and will it pass? Probably. Do we know if Mia is already participating in the goat economy, even at the hobby level? So this is a question I asked her. I said, have you even
1: pursued the smallest iteration of what this business idea would be?
2: And the answer so far has been no. I mean, I think first figuring out whether it's, do you want to be around goats all day long? That is what you desire. Or do you want to be a person that uh, you want to start a business, a product-based business? Cause those are two very different things. And the answer is really easy. If you want to be around goats all day long, um, you know, get into goats, hang out with them, volunteer at a farm. I think if you want to build a product-based business, I would just start to look at what it would cost to start manufacturing those products. Like, Who would your suppliers be? What are the options that you have um, in terms of suppliers? Um, Like how many bars of soap would you have to manufacture on the smallest run? And what does that cost? What would packaging cost? Um, Would you be handling, I mean, thinking about the logistics, it it would probably be quote unquote cheaper for you to handle all of the uh, shipping but then also look into the services where you can store the product and then ship it out, and kind of start to look at what it costs in terms of like okay, well, hey, I just want to have a farmers market booth uh, every Saturday and Sunday. We can you can hop around to different farmers markets, and you know how much product do you think you would need to have on hand? I don't know, a couple hundred bars. Are there people at the farmers market that you can actually begin to talk to? One other thing I would do is I would try to find a company that's already doing what you're doing and see if you can work for them. If you can do an internship or if you can work there part-time or work there full-time. And if you do something like that, okay, now we're looking at, okay, at what point does this go from I'm exploring to, oh no, um, I'm, I'm, I'm draining my emergency fund. So I would bump up that emergency fund to 12 months, which I know nobody likes hearing that. But uh, especially in, with COVID happening and uh, the world changing a lot, I don't, I don't know if you agree with this, but a lot of people who used to say, oh, three to six months is fine, all of them are revising their recommendation to, to 12 months, which is such a blow. <laughs>
1: Like Paco mentioned, I have been working to build up my emergency savings account to include 12 months worth of living expenses, especially as a business owner and especially after a year like 2020. Setting aside dedicated business savings separate from my emergency fund has also been a way for me to dip my toe into new business ideas without feeling like I'm putting my personal finances at risk. But the thing that struck me most about what Paco said wasn't about those financial steps. It was interesting because um, it came back to your idea of this emotional exercise of of thinking, okay, well, what is it you want to
2: feel? Totally, yeah, because if she's like, I want to change the face of goat so- the goat soap industry forever, like I want to take goat soap to the top, Forbes, baby. That's really, really different than I want to pet goats all day. I think what a lot of people struggle with is in Western culture, there's an overemphasis of uh, your work being so meaningful and your work defining who you are. I think that we need to like really step back and say, hey guys, we can find meaning in other places outside of work. It's work can be work.
1: I will say one of the emotional things that Mia definitely identified in herself that she kind of wanted to feel was this feeling of being able to be her own boss and have that kind of independence. But she's holding this need for structure and having the whole plan and having kind of like all of the things that have allowed her to really succeed and excel in a corporate setting. How does she hold on to that at the same time as trying to like be her own boss?
2: That's interesting. I actually think that um, the desire for structure will really serve you as an entrepreneur. I have a problem with authority and I've kind of always just been like, I don't want to have rules. And when I first started working for myself, I would just wake up whenever I woke up and work out whenever I worked out. And the first two years were really just fast and loose, you know, and I didn't accomplish that much. Uh, I didn't really make that much money. And then the moment that I was like, hey, maybe you should put in these like processes and procedures and structures, it just changed everything. Like I made 100% more revenue and I took the business more seriously. So I actually think, That desire for structure will be really helpful.
1: I think so much of the fear people experience when they talk about starting their business is the idea that they have to give up everything they already have in order to do even this initial exploration. It's like, I'm either traditionally employed or I'm a business owner.
2: People feel really uncomfortable when they don't know what they're going to do next and they don't know what that's going to look like. And of course you do have to be a decisive person. You have to make a decision and stick with it. But like you said, sometimes the process for getting there is being steeped in in the data, being steeped in the information, being steeped in the questions that you're asking yourself. That can be a process. You can say for an hour every morning, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down and I'm going to give myself thinking space to systematically kind of take apart what the answer is for me. I think that would be really, really helpful.
1: Yeah. So I wonder how people like Mia or anyone can balance that practical need for enough because that, that is, it is a practical need. We do need enough. But how do they balance that against the fallacy of enough?
2: Yeah, that is a tough one um, because it is definitely a moving target. And I'm going to go with, with what you said earlier in terms of, it doesn't have to be binary. and It doesn't have to be black and white. I think if you can build something slowly on the side, the number will kind of click at some point, right? You'll, you might reach a level of sales that can result in a salary that replaces, I don't know, 50% of what you're making at your job. And that might feel suddenly like it's enough. I think that's a, I think that's a hard one because it is also, you know, it's mushy. It's not it's not like everybody agrees that $10,000 in your emergency fund is enough. It depends. I want to take a
1: second to also talk about this within the context of the economic reality that is the pandemic and the fallout of the last year. Is
2: now even a good time to start a business? I believe that there is always an opportunity in crisis. I've had a lot of adversity in my life. And in the moment that you're feeling that, it's painful and it's hard and you want it to pass and you want it to go away but it gives you an opportunity to reflect and to pause and to think about what truly matters to you and are you willing to to fight for it are you willing to be uncomfortable for it are you willing to face your fears for it
1: are there any general financial rules of thumb or best practices
2: you give to aspiring or growing business owners I would say that you should definitely spend the time to understand what your personal economics are. The first bucket is your um, everything you need to live. Groceries, roof over your head, student loan payments. The second bucket I look at as future and goals. What is that number and what are you trying to save for? Probably retirement, probably an emergency fund, probably your new business. And then the third bucket I like to look at is fun stuff crap you don't need but it makes life fun um and when you can kind of know that number in broad strokes i think it makes it a lot easier when you are transitioning to entrepreneurship to starting your own business because then you could see okay cool let's just take some nice round numbers if you need a thousand let's say three thousand dollars for your essentials great you can gauge with your growing business when you're going to reach that stage. And then you can start to make decisions. Okay, cool. I can go to part-time with my job because my essentials are covered. Or uh, since my essentials are covered, I'm willing to cut back on my non-essentials, my fun stuff. And maybe I'm going to even take the risk of turning off future investments for the next, I don't know, three months. And I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. So looking at your finances in these broad strokes in these three buckets, I think, helps people. It's a lot easier to digest. Um, Of course, I think everybody needs an emergency fund. I don't think I need to say it. I think our collective experience of what is happening to us right now says everything that needs to be said about that.
1: And what financial questions should people who currently work for someone else and want to start working for themselves be asking?
2: I mean, I definitely think they should be asking... um, The thing that you want to sell to other people, do they really want it or do you just want to make it? If I just want to make vegan artisanal cat sweaters, like sweaters for cats to wear that are vegan, if I want to make that, do cats and cat owners really want to buy that? I'm not sure. They don't have to just want it. They have to be willing to pay for it. So if you are thinking about starting a business, I would say try to find some customers. It'll probably be your mom and your cousin and somebody else but uh if you can get people outside of your circle who know you interested like if your mom or your cousin starts telling their friends and they tell other people's friends then that is that's the data that's the audience saying we want this we want this to exist um so you can you know there's really low cost low pressure low tech ways To get feedback on your idea.
1: Right. You don't need to go build the whole cat sweater factory and like invest $300,000 in supplies, labor, materials before you test the idea and see if there's actually a customer base out there.
2: Exactly.
1: So, is now a bad time to start a business for Mia or for anyone? In Paco's words, there is always opportunity, even in times of crisis. You can start with the financial fundamentals, save up six to 12 months of living expenses in emergency savings, and calculate your essential cost of living so that you can make more informed decisions about what enough savings or enough income from your entrepreneurial ventures actually looks like. Starting a business does not have to mean making a major upfront investment. It doesn't even have to mean quitting your current job or leaving behind the safety and security of a steady paycheck. It can mean finding someone who's already doing what you're doing and seeing if you can work or even volunteer for them. It can mean testing out your ideas on the smallest scale to see if there are people out there who want and are willing to pay for what you're offering. And it can mean doing some research and exploration to see if the business you're working to build is actually going to bring you closer to what you want to feel, or if there's another way to get those feelings before you invest too much time or money. Because as Paco said for Mia, I want to change the face of the goat soap industry forever is really different from I want to pet goats all day. And digging into what it is you're really trying to feel and work toward will tell you a lot more about what you need to do financially to get there. This has been Money Confidential from Real Simple. If you've been thinking about pursuing a dream you've had for a while, like Mia, send me an email at money.confidential at realsimple.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 929-352-4106. Money Confidential is produced by Mickey O'Connor, Heather Morgan-Shott, and me, Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Chris Browning, and Trey Boudie. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or telling your friends about Money Confidential. Real Simple is based in New York City. You can find us online at realsimple.com and subscribe to our print publication by searching for Real Simple at www.magazine.store. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week.